Hello and welcome to episode 45 of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini and I'm pleased to say that we're being joined for this episode by Soledad O'Brien. Soledad, of course, is the former anchor of CNN's American Morning. She's now the head of her own production company, Starfish Media Group, where she produces news documentaries for HBO and other media outlets. And she's the host of Matter of Fact, an in-depth news interview program for Hearst Television. Along with her husband, Brad Raymond, Soledad started the Starfish Foundation charity that helps support young girls in middle to low-income families succeed in school and in college. She's also the mother of four children, one of whom, her son Jackson, has had some special needs challenges in school, which turned out was due to an undiagnosed hearing loss. For this interview, we talked about her views on education and special education, which are very important subjects for her because both of her parents were educators. But I started off by asking her about her son, Jackson, and the story of his diagnosis. Well, then, you've recently spoken out about the problems and issues that your son, Jackson, faced in school and the diagnosis that got everything back on track for him. Can you give us a quick rundown of his story sure. and what happened as far as the special needs go? Sure. Did you ever get a copy of his, the, the health magazine that did a kind of a good rundown of it? Because if not, I can send it to you. No, that's okay. My wife, well, actually, my wife actually read that, and she's the one who uh, told me to give you a call. Dig that up. That'll give you the step-by-step. But the big story, you know, the big 35,000-foot view, is he really in first grade, I think, after a few years of trying to help this kid navigate what we thought were behavioral problems. You know, he'd melt down a lot in class. He, um, you know, he would just be so stressed all the time. I remember when he was little, maybe five years old, you know, he would he would have 20 meltdowns, and no exaggeration, literally rolling back-to-back-to-back meltdowns. Wow. You get him calmed down, then you have another. Uh, and so by first grade, we finally uh, identified that he had uh, a hearing problem. His siblings all took a hearing test and passed, and he failed. Mm. And so that's when we really started looking into his hearing. He had been passing just fine. And um, but obviously something had been bothering him. By first grade, he failed, and that's when we really began to recognize that he had a serious problem. Okay, now was the school taking any or talking about any kind of special education support for him in class? No, you know, I think for us in the school where he is, I think, certainly the only child with hearing disability in his grade, uh, I think he's the only child with a hearing disability in all of the middle school, um, it's been a learning process for the both of us together, both mm-hmm. the school and us. And so uh, I don't think we ever thought about it as, this is special ed, I think we thought about it as, okay, how do you support a kid who needs some very specific supports? And frankly, as you well know, every year, sort of the material changes, how the material is disseminated changes, and so that kind of changes mm-hmm. the strategy around how to best educate him. So all of that, of course, is special ed. He's mainstreamed. Right. But it really is how do you approach educating a kid, and I think for all of us it's been a bit of a learning curve. Right. Now, is he on an IEP? He has an IEP and has had one since the first grade. Um, You know, dealing with the Department of Education, I would put on my top ten list of things I really, really hate. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe top three things. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that's been a bit of a challenge, uh, just negotiating that IEP, not just learning what is an IEP and how do you make sure that you're best advocating for your kid around the IEP. So, yes, he has an IEP. I think we've gotten a lot better uh, in how to best work with the Department of Education in making sure that his needs are met. 
I think that is probably the one statement that virtually every parent makes when it comes to special education services is how much they hate the IEPs. Yeah, it's really not fun. And I think for me, and it's going to sound incredibly naive, but you sort of go into it thinking that everybody's on Team Jackson, right, to help him. And actually, you pretty quickly learn that only you are on Team Jackson. Right. Everybody else is on a different team. And if there's a way to maneuver it so that we're all facing the same direction, then then that's a win. Right. Um, but my first meeting uh, with the Department of Education around it, I really genuinely thought that they were there to help me, and they genuinely... Um, it became very clear to me that actually my job was going to have to be to advocate for my kid as best as I possibly could, sometimes with the help of the Department of Education and sometimes without their help. Right, right. And, of course, all the stress that goes along with that is uh, just uh, ridiculous. Um, and bringing that to another question here, which is you've been also talking about uh, heavy amounts of stress that kids have in school due to homework and studies and things like that. Not, And I'm sure it's not just with your son, Jackson, but also you've talked about your daughter facing her homework stresses. What um, What happened that all alerted you to the problem, and how much of an impact do you think stress is having on kids in general, do you, do you believe? Yeah, you know, it was funny. I was asked to do a story on kids and stress, and I was like, oh, my God, we're experiencing this right now. With My daughter at the time was in eighth grade, 13, and I had just landed in L.A., and she was calling me. So bear in mind, it was 1 o'clock in the morning in L.A., so mm. 4 o'clock in the morning in New York, and she was in hysterics that she couldn't get a, a, a lab done, one of her a, a problem set for a lab that she was doing. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, this is ridiculous. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. And some of that is taking a tightly wound kid who's feeling a lot of pressure and helping her manage her pressure and understanding, you know, that, listen, certainly the stakes are high and it's important, but this is not life or death and making yourself sick is absolutely not worth it. You're going to have to learn to manage getting all your work done in a reasonable amount of time uh, and not stress yourself out. So some of that is on the child. But also, again, we went back to our school. We were not the only parents who were concerned about this, and I think there are parents everywhere who are really trying to make sure that all the homework that's being assigned um, is actually correlated to the kid learning more and doing better and having opportunities to do better, that it's not just piling stuff on because this is the way it is. You know, a lot of for kids, a lot of it is learning how to, you know, manage it. They have to learn how to manage it. I fully support that. Uh, but also, you know, I think parents, you know, at our kids' school, they get a lot of homework and and we are not, you know, we're among a, a bunch of parents, frankly, who constantly push back and say, you know, what is the best way for this kid to be getting their work done, not just piling more and more busy work on? Right, right. And I think we have the same problem. Our daughter is 15, and she has a lot of the same issues with stress and homework in her school. And uh, it, you're right. It's just, it's amazing how much they assign and how much pressure they put on the kids. And listen, some of it's going to be, they're going to figure it out, right? Your daughter will learn how to navigate 20 things and prioritize them and how much, you know, the days you can't, obviously you're not going to spend five hours on a math problem set. You don't have that time. So it's going to be good lessons that you learn about how do you get stuff done. But it is a lot of work and this is a stressful time for kids because especially those tightly wound ones who want to do well, hmm. you know, it's very hard for them. They, they're not slackers. Right, right. Now, your production company, Starfish Media, has been focusing on documentaries about issues of education, both in America and around the world. What do you see as some of the biggest problems in education right now? And what do you think, what do uh, people talk to you uh, about when you're talking to them about the solutions that they see could be uh, used to address these problems? Yeah, you know, I think a big conversation right now is 
I, I think we're at a bit of a pivot point, which is we have to make sure that we're educating children for the kind of jobs that exist. One of the, the issues that clearly emerged in the election was this idea that there's a whole bunch of people who are being educated for as a, as a workforce that, that doesn't really exist today. Um, and so, you know, one project we've been working on, along with um, with looking at XT schools and kind of their philosophy around what could be some solutions to rethink high school education. What could you do? Uh, you know, we know, for example, that um, what what people want to hire today are problem solvers, not people who just memorize math solutions. There was a day, certainly the way I learned math, was you learn, you know, you memorize all these different rules. That just doesn't exist anymore. You don't need that. And, you know, people need to learn to work collaboratively. They need to learn to work in teams. They need to identify problems and then draft a solution and then get to work on that solution. You know, so we actually have to shift how we teach kids. And I think one of the big challenges is how do you make sure that those shifts are coming for everybody, not just at the best-funded schools with the most innovative teachers who are supported by their administration. We have to make sure that we're really developing a workforce for the entire country, around the entire country, and that people aren't left out and some people are just kind of learning the, the, the old way because that's not what's being hired for. Right. Now, also, one of your biggest concerns is the fact that there's a lot of education success in this country based on economic status. Can you give us some examples of how families in lower income areas are just not getting the kind of education support they need? Oh, gosh. Yeah, listen, I think for a lot of public schools, obviously, a lot has been cut out. So if you're a well-off parent, and I'll use New York City as a great example, and your school no longer has uh, art, well, guess what? You can just after school enroll your kid in art classes and dance classes and music classes. You can make sure your child has a perfectly well-enriched uh, day because you can just fund it. You know, And that means that for, if you don't have that, that means that you're not going to have opportunities for your kid, because those are the opportunities that existed in school you know, years ago. We had music all the time. We had art all the time. That was part of the curriculum. Well, now we see that those things are being cut out of the curriculum. And so, yeah, you have this dichotomy of how a, a middle-class parent or a well-off parent who can afford to add that to their child's education. You know, if I want to put my kid in, if I want my kid to learn about STEM, I can just enroll them in a STEM class. I can hire a tutor to come to my house and teach my kid about STEM if I want to. Well, guess what? If those, you know, those opportunities have to exist for all children, it's great that I can do it for my kid, but it actually has to be, you know, that's critical. That's important. Those are the jobs that we're looking at, you know, as my kids get out of high school and get out of college. So that's something that has to exist for a lot of people. It can't just be certain people who can afford to add enrichment to their kids' lives. That's not fair. Right. Right. And along with that, too, there's a lot of talk about privatizing the public school system and making it uh, possibly even more exclusive. Uh, do you feel that that is a, a good way to go? Or I mean, I think there's different versions of that. But no, I don't think that I don't think the, the vision of a public school was that, you know, you sort of do these little these little centers of privatization and that. Uh, you know, hey, listen, if you've been lucky enough to be funded by Dell, here's what you're going to get. Oh, and you got funded by Walmart, here's what you're going to get. And, oh, you've been, you know, and, and, oh, you didn't get funded by anybody. Oh, well, nothing for you. I mean, I think that's insane. Uh, and that's not what the original vision of a public education was, which is to help create good citizens. Um, and also that there would be some inherent fairness in the system. 
so I, I think that that's, you know, that's really where you have a, a, a big problem. We have to make sure that, you know, that anybody going to any public school can walk away with a good education and has an opportunity, should they want to, to go off to, to college. And I think you also have to decide what are those things, you know, those learning techniques that, that kids need, not just that they're funded by, you know, Oscar Mayer Wiener, so now we're going to make sure that that, you know, that that branding exists in the school because that's who's funding us. You know, that's not doable. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird dichotomy going on right now as far as that kind of thing goes, where it's all funding and funding because so much of the uh, the public funds have been cut. Right, and unfortunately, so if you're a great fundraiser, then your kids are going to do better, and if you're not a great fundraiser, or if you have strength in something else, then you're going to be challenged on that front. And you know, as you know, there are schools in New York City where, because obviously, often the schools share a building. You know, kids on the second and third floor, they have laptops because they have a donor. The kids on the, you know, fourth and fifth floor, they don't. Right. Because someone hasn't been able to figure out the donor for that. I mean, you know, that's not how I think a vision of public school to make great citizens who are informed and were positioned to go off and do whatever they wanted to do. I don't think that that's... uh, I don't think that was the plan. Yeah, yeah, and as a matter of economics, too, there are some politicians now in the United States who kind of believe that special education is a waste of money, and they're trying to change the education system to eliminate special needs accommodations in schools. And what would you say to I someone? Bet they are. Yeah, I'm yeah. Not surprised by that. Yeah, there, there are, and it's, it's really, um, it's really concerning. Listen, sometimes it feels like if you, you know, if you don't have a kid in special ed, then everyone, you know, no one even necessarily cares about it. Right. Right. Well, what would you say to someone who thinks that that way, or at least agrees with that sentiment, as far as trying to convince them that you know this is very important? Listen, at the end of the day, one thing about education is clear, which is, you know, the money you put in has tremendous value. And if you don't pay for it on the front end, you will absolutely pay for it on the back end. You know, children who are not well-educated, children who do not get through high school and uh, and are not just, don't, you know, drop out of school, those are the children who are positioned to go into the prison pipeline, right? So you're paying for them down the road just in a different way. And I think the same thing with special education. If you have children who cannot, you know, learn, if you have not been able, you're just going to warehouse special education children and not really teach them and give them skills and help them become really productive members of society, I personally guarantee you, you pay for that later. It doesn't just go away, you know, not to mention the moral imperative, but, you know, it's, it's very naive, and the data fully supports me that, you know, you, you pay at the front end or you pay at the back end, and usually at the back end you pay more. Right. Through, uh, like you said, through warehousing, or I mean, the uh, the prison system is full of kids who fell out, of, fell between the cracks, and uh, wound Absolutely. up not being able to do well. You know, in you school. can send all those kids to Harvard for what you're paying for them to be in prison. Right, right. So um, now, through your reports and your documentaries and education, as well as your own personal journeys with your children, what have you found that are some of the best things that parents and families can do to help their kids with their education success? help kids who have a learning disability actually help all kids. You know, for example, at my kids' school, I would say to them, you know, if you write something on the board for a kid who cannot hear, right, you can't just throw out instructions as they're heading out of the classroom. 
But if you write things on the board, if you make sure that everything exists online, that's good for all kids. That's good for my kid, but guess what? That's good for all the kids. Mm-hmm. If you use Chiron, you know, if you close caption stuff, something, a video, so that my kid can, can hear along with the rest of the class, that's good for all kids. You're not necessarily just helping my kid. You're helping any other kid who might be missing this information. You're helping them, too. And I think getting people to come around to understand that, um, maybe at the beginning is a bit of a struggle, but I think people are there now. They understand, like, oh, you know, this is good for everybody. Definitely. Definitely. Now, are there any new projects coming up that you want to talk about? Yeah, our next big our next big project is a multi-part series on uh, veterans and post-traumatic stress, which really, in a way, I think is a great information about how the brain deals with stress. And again, while it focuses on veterans, it really, at the end of the day, is great information for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going back to the stresses that kids face in school, and not just the ones who are high achievers, but even the ones who are struggling face a lot of stress, too. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of stress comes about, obviously, as you know, from poverty and the stress of living in very challenging circumstances. Anything you could learn about post-traumatic stress, I think, has a value uh, for kids who are in that situation, but a value for everybody. My thanks again to Soledad O'Brien for taking the time out of her schedule to talk with us on the podcast. You can find links to her production company, Starfish Media Group, her news interview program, Matter of Fact, and the Starfish Foundation charity on the page for this episode on our website, specialparentsconfidential.com. We also have a link to the online article that has the full story of her son's struggles in school. A reminder, as always, to please share this episode of Special Parents Confidential on all your favorite social media sites. We make it easy for you to do this with our social media buttons on the page for this episode. Anything you can do to help spread the word about our podcast will help us to be able to continue doing these interviews. And that's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening.